This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Amen. Well, how many want to hear from God? <clears throat> well, we need God. Amen. <clears throat> uh, this is the third week in our series, and I'm talking about uh, the authority to go and the Great Commission and the importance of that and breaking down some barriers and uh, some assumptions that maybe people have had that are wrong about the Great Commission. Uh, some of you have been under a burden and wondered, you know, I've never been on a missions trip and failing God, well, I just got to go up back to work and and so all those things I'm trying to bring clarity to. <clears throat> so authority to go, and this is the third week, and I subtitle this vocal gospel, and then hopefully we'll get in time to hit that point. But our text is in Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew 28, and I'll just read part of it. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me. Believe in me and obey my words baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstances, on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Someone say amen. And we talked about that, you know, how many know last words of somebody are really important? I've been at the deathbed of a number of people, and, and, and you, you, know, you listen to those words that they say, and, and uh, I guarantee you at that time they're not talking about, I mean, some people talk foolish, crazy stuff at the, their last moment. You know, i got to change the oil in the car. I'm like, okay, what you've been thinking about your whole life, you know? <clears throat> but a lot of people, they, they just, you know, speak, speak what's in their soul. And, and, and here's what I said, just a quick recap. For believers, our life is not our own. I don't mean that to be a heavy, but that's a fact from God's perspective. Amen. Said that with a smile. <laughs> so, in other words, we can erroneously conclude that our life is our life. And so when we left one master, the devil, and we gained a new, you know, buddy, Jesus, he could be your buddy, but he's also our master. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. And so we can kind of think that, you know, it's my freedom. It's my pleasure. It's my money. Spend the way I want to. And the Bible says that we are called to love God first. Can you say that with me? Say, love God first. Watch this verse. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, like the ants I shared earlier, that they're pursuing. Food, food, food. Got to get food. All these things will be given to you as well. I like how this other translation says it. But more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. We could just shut the service down. I could say amen and go home and just ponder that this whole week. What are we doing to put God's work first and do what he wants in our life come tomorrow morning? Well, God, job has, we'll talk about that. <clears throat> what are we doing? And once again, I don't mean this to be a heavy, but this is what Jesus is saying. Then the other things will be yours as well. So God is not trying to steal in a killjoy. No, not all convinced on that. Well, some of you are still trying to wake up. Here's the thing. We said this. God will not honor, hear me, a me-centered life. <laughs> You know, the gospel message is not about what, 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 you know, what God can do for me. 
you know, it's all about me. You know, how many know that there are over 8,886 promises in the Bible? Did you know that? Those are promises of God's goodness towards us. 8,886 promises towards you. So our God is not a killjoy. But we have to have our priorities right as a people. Amen? And so the gospel message really is about what Jesus did for us and then how in turn we can turn that around and say thank you, Lord, for that amazing sacrifice and here's the least I can do. I could give you my life for service. Amen? Romans 1.14. This, this is how Paul looked at it. Watch. I'm a debtor. Are you anyone debtors in here? Don't raise your hand on this. <laughs> debtors in a credit card company. Debtors to that new card. I remember one time my wife and I, we were first married. Zero. You can't do anything with credit, it seems like today. Well, you listen to Financial Peace, you can have a debit card, but not a credit card. Anyhow, the point is, is that we had nothing, and, and I, we needed a card, and so I typed to some national card or whatever. I said, please start us out, and they denied us. <laughs> you have no credit. And, and, but somehow online, we got a credit card from, I don't know, it was a, a national chain they had it for $300. And I was like, oh, we can start. And then I found out Dr. Dobson said that that company was supporting abortion. And at the time I had the card, so I sent the card back, cut it up. I said, I'm sorry, I can't. Next day, we got another card for something else, and we start building credit. But you can't really do much for, you know, without credit. But Paul's attitude was this. He was in debt to the Lord. Did you think about that? We're under, we're under freedom. We're in Christ. Absolutely. I am free. This is not a legalistic. I don't read this as legalism. I read this as freedom right here. I, I, I read this when I read this as a debtor. Uh, and he goes on to say, for I have a great sense. Can we just say that right now? Say great sense of obligation. What is the great sense of obligation that we have going on in our life? To people, here it is, it explains, to both in the civilized world and the rest of the world, the nations, where you live, your neighborhood, your streets, our community, amen? The surrounding communities, <clears throat> to, the education, to the educated and the uneducated alike. And he goes on in verse 15, he says, So for my part, I am ready and eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. <clears throat> so that's what that, that debt or that sense of obligation had to do with sharing the good news of Christ. Now, here's the thing. God does not expect every person here the Great Commission as some kind of a summons to a cross-cultural uh, or to be a missionary in another country. He is not saying that. That is not what the Lord is saying. I do believe, though, in 1 Peter 2.9, <clears throat> if you want to pull that up, 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what? that you may proclaim. Can we shall proclaim? proclaim? That has to do with your mouth. Amen. We'll get to that in a moment. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many of you, God saved you, and you're here this morning? Amen. All right, most of you. We'll have altar call at the end. We'll get the rest of you. Amen. <clears throat> but I believe Peter is instructing all believers to declare the excellencies of Christ in all of the network of your relationships. There are people that you're going to bump up against, see every day, deal with, 
you know, whether good, bad, ugly, indifferent, uh, people that cut you across the grain, people that are just like a breath of fresh air, people that'll talk your ear off, you know, people that's all about them. Those are the people we are to declare his excellencies to. Amen? I'm just glad you came to church. <clears throat> so let me just say this. The New Testament does not teach that every believer should be a cross-cultural missionary. It doesn't teach that. It doesn't. Trying to penetrate unreached peoples as a frontier missionary, he does it to crazy people like myself, you know, that want to go and go into these crazy places and prisons and just, I don't know, I just, that's my passion, that's my heart, to proclaim the gospel. To, I, I like going into the field, the Bible talks about a parable of the gold coin. When he finds it, it's missing. And my heart is for those who've never heard the gospel, it's, it's difficult when I preach to people that have heard it a thousand times and they're kind of smug. Yeah, heard that before. Yep, and then you preach to people who've never heard the gospel before, false gods, they've been living under bondage, they fear with demonic spirits and they try to appease these spirits so they don't you know, put curses on their house and they're just subjected to the enemy. I said, I love preaching the gospel to them. Amen? It's just this way. But, so, but God is not saying that every single one of you, when we say go, you need to just, yeah, I talked to one guy one time, he's just a little off, and he goes, if I actually fulfill the Great Commission, I have to sell my house. I have to, you know, get rid of all my material possessions. I have to get rid of even my car. I have to get one set of clothes in a bag, and then I have to start walking. That's not what Jesus said, okay? <laughs> You're not going to get pretty far, okay? It's like a little five-year-old running away from home, you know? My son did that one time. I'm leaving. My wife said, okay. He was on a side street, and so he left, and I don't think he maybe he brought his Buzz Lightyear. So I don't know yet. Brought, brought something with him, and he made it to the neighbors, found out he was hungry, came back. I'm hungry. <laughs> Anyhow, I got off track, but God doesn't teach that. So, so let's get to, to where we ended off quickly. Uh, uh, we talked about how do we reconcile what we've been called to do, what we've been able to do. Last week, we just kind of ended this as, a, uh, as, 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 as our challenge and the altar call. We have to overcome the fear of man. Amen. Let me say that again to the Minnesota Knights. We have to overcome the fear of man. You know, actually, there was on national television, they talked about states that people are moving into. Minnesota is one of them. A lot of people are moving into it. <clears throat> and... And they say that the Minnesota is just, just really nice. And, and so there's that whole Minnesota nice thing. And you, uh, when I remember I left Texas, I was down there and met my wife. And we were moving up here to work for my father-in-law, who was an architect and general contractor. And they said, well, make sure you wave to everybody. I was like, well, why? I'm coming to Boston. They're not waving. They're doing other stuff. You know what I mean? And, <clears throat> you know, honking the horns. And, you know, I'm like, what, what's the way? I said, oh, because everyone. And then I saw the hand on the thing in the back of someone's car. Like, I'm too tired to raise my hand, but I'll let that wave at you, you know? Give me a break. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but Minnesota nice, Minnesota nice. But so we get trapped in the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Another translation said, it is dangerous to be concerned what others think of you. Now, I just read that, and a lot of us will shake our head and say, amen, that's right, Pastor Mike. That's true. But we can get under that. I can get under that. Culture, 
You know, the Bible talks about when the sower sows the word. How many remember the parable? And it talks about certain soil. Some is hard ground. Some is thorny stuff. And then some, it says, Satan comes and snatches away. And then it talks about the devil. Out of the four soils or the seeds sown, two of them, the devil's involved. The other two are culture. So we like to just think, you know, it's, it's the devil. You know what it is? A lot of times it's culture. It's culture so strong. I had this guy one time, probably many of you heard me share this, that we actually came to the churches years ago. He was saved. We water baptized him. He was filled with the Spirit. Him and his wife, God just did a lot of a work in his life. He still was a, a work in, in progress. And <clears throat> anyhow, uh, I won't divulge more than that. But, but uh, you know, God, God did a, a, a lot for him in, in his life and, and touched him. But... <clears throat> uh, I just lost my translate. I just lost my thought on that. I don't know. <laughs> culture, culture. Yes, thank you, Angie. Culture. I'm just going to continue on until it comes to me. <laughs> what happens? You get over 55. No, I don't claim that. Amen. I just claim the mind of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Overcome. Oh, fear, man. Thank you, Angie. Yes. <clears throat> Someone's dialed in. <clears throat> he brought his Bible to church after he, it was another church. Whatever, just you know, good people. But it was another church. He brought his Bible to church, and his friends before, when he was a <clears throat> foul mouth, <clears throat> pot smoking, you know, we every other drug addict kind of a thing, loved him. Friends, buddy, hey, what's up? Even when he come into the, to that church on occasion, he came in time. God was doing something in his life, and he had his Bible with him. They ridiculed him. They mocked. This is this community. Not talking a third world country. They mocked him. Oh, were you the preacher today? He's like, I just brought my Bible. This is before iPads. Just wants to let you know, okay? And <clears throat> we're safe now, you know? But, you know, it's like the Bible. What do you mean? Yeah. Were you the preacher today? What? You spiritual? You super spiritual? What? You more spiritual? They ridiculed him. How about friends like that? Yeah. Seems like you got to get another choice of friends. Amen? Fear of man. It's a snare. It's a snare. So, Quickly, let me stay on track. How do we reconcile what we're called to do, but really where you're at, what you're able to do? Here's the thing. Every believer can invite somebody to church. Say that again. Every Christian can invite somebody to church. And I know a number of you, you do invite. You do invite. But here's the thing. A lot of pastors, they try hard. They pray hard. They do do their very best to advance the mission of the church. You know, the average size church in America is between 70 to 80. That's the average size church in America. <clears throat> and, and, and they, most of them, we, we hear, what we hear on the headlines, you know, this pastor has fallen, this guy took embezzled money, you know, we go, oh, you know, ah, the church. You know what? There are hundreds of thousands of others that are not doing that, that are faithfully getting up, that are desiring to be honorable men and women of God. Can I get an amen? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? Just throw, pitch the dirty water. And so they try hard, but, but the facts speak for themselves. Barner did a research, and it says this, the majority of churches in America are in decline. 94% of all churches are losing ground against their community. That is, their community is growing faster than the churches. That's happening here in Alexandria. I'm just telling you that, right? Alexandria grew from 2010 to 2018, 24%. Not Douglas County, Alexandria. And that's an average of 450 to 500 people a year coming in this community. 
It was around 8,000. Now it's around a little over 13,000. And they keep annexing. They're getting bigger. They spent $100 million on a high school. They're planning for growth. What does that say in five years or 10 years of this community? There's thousands of people moving in because it's a great community. But as the church is growing that fast, that's the question. <clears throat> that's something that we are pondering and looking at. So some churches are growing, and, and, and they actually say, you know, that uh, out of the 94%, the 6% churches that are growing, they are doing certain things. And one of them that they're all doing, that 6%, is the believers in the church invite their friends. Amen. That'd be a good point to say amen, close the service, and think about that all week. Let me divulge a little bit more into that. The number one church growth in America is personal invitation. Not just the pastor. I do what I can. I invite people, and I'm connected in, in the world and places, you know, where I can brush up against people. Hey, what's up? You know, and try to give me a platform. But, but you're with them all the time, all the time. Um, you know, they talk about a great social media presence is important, services for unchurched people to come. I mean, this last, oh, Katie did a wonderful job, and, and Ryan, all those will help with the Easter egg hunt. We're going to have that coming up again. Pray for no snow. We had hundreds of people. I've never seen so many people stand at that door going past down there waiting to come in. Hundreds. This, this, this sanctuary was so full, there was kids sitting up in here, up on the stage, all the way down to the aisles, and all the way in the back, packed. If the fire marshal saw it, he would have shut us down that quick. <laughs> but, and they were, we fed them, we gave them candy, and we preached the gospel to them, shared the gospel. And, and so, but, but it was invitation, people inviting, get the word out. <clears throat> so having things that, that reach on church, they're great. But at the heart of it all, in almost every growing church is this. It's very simple. People inviting their friends. Now, let me just stop right there. Research shows that personal invitation fuels much of future church growth. On the other hand, if church members don't invite their friends, don't expect that church to grow. Amen, Pastor Mike. Amen, brother. It's not going to grow. It won't grow. Now, it assumes a number of things in invitation, doesn't it? It assumes that actually Christians actually have non-Christian friends. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let me meddle a little bit. How many non-Christian friends do you have? You know what it is? I love people when they're first saved. And, and, and they just come right out of the world. Why? Because they got a ton of non-Christian friends. <laughs> they've been partying. They've been, you know, they've been like, woo, yeah, I was just in the bar, and I was just here. I was hanging out. I was at a rave club, whatever. Yeah, how many friends you got? I got like dozens of, you know, crazy people that party with me. Great. <laughs> he wants you to reach them. But what happens is, is we disassociate ourselves, and we isolate ourselves, and come on now, am I preaching real good or what? We just can't, we lose it. And next thing you know, we got brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, and brother and sister so-and-so, and brother and brother and sister and sister. And we got no unchristian people around us. People inviting their friends. So shockingly, too many Christians don't have non-Christian friends. And so we get in the cocoon, the little bubble, our little safety nest. Lord willing, I'm going to talk about that next week, that nest. We get distraught over the direction that the world is in. Come on now. How I many know you just listen to the news for a certain amount of time? You're going to get distraught. China is now going to be, are they going to be joining with Russia? And then now they're overtaking the world. It wasn't going to happen. They're taking over the South China Sea. And 
we get distraught and what's going on in the world and ha what's happening here in America and, and we get angry and, and then what happens is we get indifferent towards people that Jesus died to save. Amen? And, and, and so when they don't hold our values and they don't hold our belief system, it's easy to just, and I, I've done it, you know, you just, just kind of disassociate. It's like, well, you know, they're off the deep end there. And we just don't have that, 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 that foothold. Let me, this is the aha statement or oh me statement. And we could shut the service down right after this. I don't know. Be ready? Don't, don't miss this. Ready? This, is, this convicted me when I got this. So you can screenshot this or write this out. You ready? <clears throat> it's hard to reach a world you don't love or don't know. Amen. 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 We get busy with our lives and we, we're so consumed. But Jesus wants us to think of others. Others, are you glad he saved you? We have to think of others as a church, amen? Think of others. <clears throat> and we're going to help you with that. We're going to help you with that as a church. And I have to say, you know what? we, we got to do a better job at that. I mean, we're talking as staff and meeting. And we're, well, how can we do like invite cards where you can have a little invite card and you can just go, hey, um, something maybe, you know, uh, Christmas time or someone has a candy cane attached to it. Hey, give it to the family. It's just something to help you to have those things that you can reach out and to invite family and friends and others. Amen. So every believer can invite someone to church. That's number one church growth. You know, just think if we just said 2020, you know what? We just make a resolve. Lord, I'm going to, ready? I know this is big. This is really hard. I'm going to talk to somebody this next year and invite them. I'm not talking to you, get them saved. Just invite them. And we will have special services through the year. Well, I will say, uh, by the way, church, next Sunday is a great Sunday to invite somebody. Because I will have a message targeted to that. How does that sound? Amen. Is that is that is that what does that sound like? I'm just trying to be honest with you. And we have to do our part as church staff. So we apologize for that. And I'm not dumping on you, but we have to we have to do our part. And we're doing that and to make it easy, to make it more, we we, we, we help you. And so so we we own that. But but every every believer can invite someone to church. Amen. And and so very quickly, just a few more minutes. Every believer can pray. That's not a curse word, P-R-A-Y. That's a holy word, amen? Every believer can pray. You know, the smallest gathering in a church is the prayer gathering. It's always been the smallest. Luke 10, 2, Matthew 9, 38, Jesus said to them, there is a large harvest, but few workers to gather it in, few workers to gather it in, but pray to the owner of the harvest, which is the Lord, that he will send out workers to gather in his harvest. I'm so thankful, and I'm going to pick on Joey. And he did that evangelism teaching on Friday night, and those of you who showed up for that, and, and then you go out and you witness. I mean, uh, when I started off, uh, and, and I don't even call it ministry, just coming into church, I, I would do that. I asked the pastor, what could what I do? And, and I was a little crazy. I built a 10-foot cross, and we went through New England up near Cape Cod and Weymouth, Mass., and we just you know went out and just did what we could, just, just, just get people out and just get them to break the fear in their community. And so I'm so thankful that stuff like that is happening in the church at blesses my heart. But here's the thing. It's one thing to pray for family and friends and for all of those that you have like natural affections for. How many hear what I'm saying? Amen. But God wants us to pray for all people. Let me say that again. God desires us to pray for all men. 
First Timothy 2 says, first I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Then it goes kings, all who are in authority and rulers and all that as different translation says. And so <clears throat> here's the thing about kings and people in authority in Paul's day. They weren't bound by civil rights and they were often unjust. They were self-serving and they were cruel. That's who he says we to pray for. Wow. And so the question is, and this, 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 this convicted me, do we pray for the salvation of people like that? Those who disagree with us politically. Amen, Pastor Mine. Those who advocate ungodly agendas. A lot of that going on. Those who openly embrace sin and reject the Bible. Do we pray for those? Yes. All right, I'm going to say something here. I'm not being a political or anything. But, you know, when George Bush was sitting there with Ellen Degenerate, all right, she rose to the occasion and said something I thought that was pretty powerful. Amen. Okay? So it's like, you know what? I can be around people I disagree with. We need to be like that as the church. We need to be around people like that. Yeah, that's why she's so loved, you know? She's just like, hey, I can hang and chill with, you know what? That's the thing. That's how we reach people for Christ is being in their sphere. I mean, shouting at somebody and screaming at them, it's, it's not, it's, that's not the answer. When we go to New Orleans, Mardi Gras, we're not standing there. There is a contingency of believers that are albeit fundamentals. We call them the fighting fundies. They come down there with a blowhorn and huge signs, and they blast what's happening down there. And the people are partying, you just think they stop and drop and go, oh, my goodness, I didn't know what I was doing. It was so wrong. I'm so sorry. You gotta be kidding. They're throwing stuff at them. Fights break out. I mean, they're just, it's just contention and fighting. We stand down there with a sign. I have one sign I made up. It's been the most popular sign. God thinks you're incredible. I've had so many people, you know, they're drunk out of their mind. Look, you're, you're, I'm not shouting at them. I'm not screaming down at them. Tell me, going to hell as they say in the South, see, man? You know, you know hail, it's a two-word, two-syllable two word. You know, they're not going to hell, you know what I mean? It's like, no, I'm telling them, God loves you. He's got a plan. What you're doing is not right, but, you know, let him clean you up. Amen? Amen? Let's get you saved. If you're truly saved, you're going you're gonna to eventually get cleaned up. You may be like a little turtle, slowly moving. Some of you, like rabbits, take off, and you just dive in, you bite a hold of everything, and you grow quickly. You know, it's just slow, but you're moving forward. Amen? Amen. So every believer can pray. And here's the thing. Number three, I would say every believer can witness, can and should be a witness. Now, I did, say, I did not say be a missionary. I did not say be an evangelist or a preacher. I said every believer can witness. Acts 10.42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 1.8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. I'll kind of wind down right here, and I'll just say this in this, in this one point, but uh, see if I can get through it. How many have ever heard of St. Francis of uh, Assisi? He was part of the Franciscan order. And, and it's attributed to him uh, that he has said this statement, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. How many have ever heard that before? Let me just see your hand. Come on. And most of us, when we hear that, you're right now inside going, thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you for posting what St. Francis said, because I am relieved of all vocal duty to share the gospel. <laughs> 
St. Francis did not say that. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what he said. He didn't. The statement is intended to say that proclaiming the gospel by example, this is Minnesota nice, is more virtuous than actually proclaiming with your mouth. It's a well-intended statement, but it's, it's, it's misleading. It's a misleading phrase. Here's the fact. Fact check. Okay, You can search this out. St. Francis never said such a thing. None of his disciples, earlier or later uh, biographers, have those words coming from his mouth. It doesn't show up of any of his writings, not even close. That's the truth. The closest comes from Rule 1221 on chapter 12 and how the Franciscans should practice their preaching. This is how he said, when you're preaching, this is how I want you to practice your preaching. So follow along. He says, no brother should preach contrary to the form of regulations of the Holy Church, nor unless he had been permitted by his minister. All the friars should preach by their deeds. What is he saying in that statement? He is saying, make sure your deeds match your words. Come on now. That's what he's saying. Don't go out there and start saying something like, man, God loves you, and your mouth is full of curse words or whatever, and you're taking the name of the Lord in vain or whatever, and you're trying to share the gospel. Amen. Amen. Or your employer at work saw you, and you're trying to be a witness, and you're stealing stuff from work. Oh, Jesus. And he's like, oh, okay, you want to tell me? Or... And how you treat people, you know, a new employee comes in and they're under your tutorship and you're just, you're mean to them. You're not kind. You're not helping them. They may be obnoxious or really prideful. Come on now. <clears throat> Saying by your deeds, while you preach, make sure your deeds line up. Amen. That's what he said. Somebody is like, man, I'm mad Pastor Mike brought that out. <laughs> I'm not going to remember that. I'm not going to remember that. Because I've had people walk up and say, actually, that quote to me. You know, at times, use words. In other words, we could, we could actually do something else. And that's not what he's saying. He never said that. We have not preached the gospel if all we have done is to be kind to other people. Amen. Kind acts, do they enhance the gospel? Absolutely. We need to be about that as a church. Kind acts, doing kind, compassionate things. <clears throat> Why? They show the one whom we are serving that he is conforming us to his image. Amen? But watch this. Evangelism happens only when we proclaim the message of Jesus and we call people to put their faith in him. <clears throat> Why? Because... It's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. So, Pastor Mike, what about the deaf? Hey, we can sign to them. Every tornado or hurricane that hits Florida when the, you know, the governor's on, who's over there in the corner signing? <laughs> Make sure you, you know, they're, they're communicating. You can communicate. When I was in Bible school, there was a whole section of the deaf. Every message that was going on, it was being communicated to them. So, so that's, that's, that's not an excuse. That's not a reason like, well. <clears throat> and so, so, you know, we can do dramas. We can do all those things that present the gospel. But hear me. Somebody needs to open their mouth and speak. Amen. That's a word. That is a word. That's the truth. Not obnoxiously. Not, you know, defiantly. Not, you know, haughtily. Not pridefully. In a loving, compassionate way, we've got to open our mouth.
and pray for those moments. And a lot of times, sometimes we're like a dumb truck. A lot of times I was like that. It's like, all right. Or a concrete truck, you know, they spin in, spin in. You know, you get that concrete. And I've had some guys, you know, say, okay, we're pouring footings. And, you know, he wants to get out of there. What does he do? Let it rip and shoots that concrete. I'm like, slow the thing down. You know, I can't keep up. Sometimes you just let a little out. Just let a little out. And start working that, working that, amen? And so you don't have to dump it all out. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Just being Minnesota nice won't cut it. Amen. I'm smiling. Now with my lower braces on, too. I hate braces. <laughs> I hate them. But I asked for it, so I can't complain. Right, honey? <sighs> you know, one time I was at this event. I'm almost done here. I was at this event, and, you know, this individual sitting next to me at the table all by themselves, so I started to sit there. And, oh, they were just like wanted to talk to me and hang out, and you know, just like yeah, and the questions. So I just started, and then I talked chit chat, all different things, natural things. Things were going great, and all of a sudden I interjected Jesus. Just, just interjected. Hey, do you have a religious background, or do you go go to church and went? No, I don't do, do church. I don't do that. Or whatever. Yeah, well, I, I had a so and so that was really hard on me. Real religious drove me to do it. And I was like, well, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, that rocked them a little bit. Like, okay, not everybody is that way. I just began to share, and then full long they got up, left. I don't know where they went. When they came back, they went to another table. <laughs> but a lot of people are going to feel bad. Oh, oh, I heard. No, you shared the gospel. You, you, I have no idea at that time if the Holy Spirit is going, oh, my God, to that person where they're going, and he's dealing with them. See, here's the thing. It's not your words. It's his words speaking through you. That's the power. <clears throat> if you could save him, then we don't need him. Amen? How many still love me? Say amen. <clears throat> the gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. And this whole deed-only proclamation of the gospel, it's not biblical. It's good to be nice. Now, there's people that, are, they, they need some good deeds, okay? <clears throat> They're out telling people what they should, should do, and I look back, you don't even have your lawn mowed. Your house is a disaster. Come on now. Amen? We've got to be good representations of Christ. Amen? That didn't go over well. Oh, well. Romans. <laughs> Romans. <clears throat> Romans. Paul says in Romans 10, 14, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Question mark. How can they believe in him unless they have never heard about him? Question mark. And how can they hear about him? Ready? Let's read it together. Unless someone tells them. Vocal. The gospel is vocal. Now, yeah, I remember one time I preached a message like this, and a guy got really excited, started passing out tracts, put them in a bank teller thing, you know, and, and then the bank called me, this, you know, I'm like, let's not do that, okay? <laughs> I mean, if people will come into your house to trick or treat or whatever, how many know you can put something godly in there? Amen. Amen? Not that we advocate Halloween, but I'm just, do you hear what I'm saying? There's ways and means we can do things <clears throat> that we can reach people for Christ. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So, you know, next time you hear that statement, now you know, like, Pastor Mike preached on that. That's not what St. Francis, you know, Assisi said. Amen. <clears throat> so let me end with this here. Just a few minutes. Can you take it? Can you take it? Because this is the point I've been waiting for. <laughs> Every believer can and should give. Amen, Pastor Mike. Amen. Just, that's so awesome, that point. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> a lot of you are not still convinced of this. Just, it's, you just get your, it's you. It's your money. It's your, yeah, mine. It's mine. You know, aren't you glad that you're not in a hospital this morning? Aren't you, aren't you glad you're not in the morgue? <laughs> if you knew the Lord, then you're with Jesus. But come on, aren't you glad you're not at home sick with a blanket around you and a hot thing around your neck? You've loaded with ibuprofen. You're like, I wish I was in church today. That you're healed, you're healthy and well. Paul says, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. Amen. Every believer can and should give. Is that great? Let me just share that. I'm not going to pound this thing, but I'm just going to share a little bit on it. In Romans 15 is a very interesting passage. I believe this will speak liberty to many of you. Paul is recruiting people from Rome not to go with him to Spain, but to support him as he goes to Spain. Now watch this. He says he knows that all those people he's writing to in Rome, all of those Christians where the gospel is already rooted, they have jobs. They have networks of relationships. So he's not calling them, and he's not saying, hey, all you Christians, if you're serious about Jesus, all of you, everybody, get in this boat with me. Go with me to Spain and preach the gospel. He's not saying that at all. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, support me as I go. I know you can't leave. I know you got little ones, but you have a network. You have a support here. You have a group of people that you're connected to. You can still be a witness, and you can give to help the future of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Support me as I go. Some giving quotes here. No one has ever become poor by giving. The happiest people are not those getting more, but those giving more. Um, this is an interesting uh, uh, one here from Ben Carson. He said, happiness doesn't result from what we get, but from what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give, Winston Churchill. It is every man's obligation to put back into the world at least the equivalent of what he takes out of it. Albert Einstein said that. Those who are the happiest are those who do the most for others. Booker T. Washington state that. In conclusion, I'm done with this. Are you ready? I came across something that I thought was a fabulous story. It's, it, it's, this story is not in the Bible, but how many of you know that? The apostles went and lived on and did works for Christ. Amen. And there are extra biblical writings about these men and, and what they did in the kingdom. We have the book of Acts, 28 chapters, and we just think, well, that's it. That's all they did. Oh, no, they, they went into other nations. And so there's a story of the apostle Thomas. How many of you have heard of Doubting Thomas? Just think of you knowing, oh, we get to heaven, it's Peter, Andrew, James, oh, doubting Thomas, that's what you're going to say. His life did not end that way. After he saw the Lord and said, my Lord and my God, and, and he saw those nail-pierced hands and, 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 and Jesus, you know, scar in the side, he believed, he saw, Jesus was standing before him, it, it radically revolutionized his life. Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen but believe, that's you and I. Amen. We haven't physically seen him, we will someday, but believe, we believe. But St. Thomas and this, this king of the Indies, I if I say his name properly, I, call, I pronounce it Gondoforce, but someone can maybe pronounce it better than me, around 52 AD. And so, so 33 AD, we have the ascension, and there's a story that goes, once again, extra biblical, uh, but about Thomas, that Thomas was called to India. There's a lot of writings about this. There's actually a, a whole Christian 
um, uh, province in, in India, the southwest part, predominant, there's Indian, there's statues of Thomas. I mean, it's, it's amazing how he went down there. Jesus showed up to him in vision said, I want you to go down there, and there's a king down there, and, and he has a, uh, something he wants you to do. And he's like, I'm not going. He goes, yeah, you are going. And he even told him, he says, you're going to go, and you're also going to be a martyr for me. Thomas went. He went to, to India. It was around 52 AD. And so, so we have a whole region of Christians here today in India because of that, of the spread of the gospel. So the story of Thomas and Ghana Forest. Now, he was a fisherman and neither a carpenter nor a mason. This is Thomas. I'm just going to read to this quickly. <clears throat> and the origin of this attribute must be sought in one of the most popular lessons, which is the subject. He said, when Thomas was at Caesarea, Jesus appeared to him and said, the king of the Indies, Gondoforce, had sent his prime minister to seek out workmen well-versed in the science of architecture, who shall build for him a palace finer than that of the emperor of Rome. And Thomas is known in the Catholic Church as the great architect and and, you know, we need help building stuff. Thomas, you know, they pray to Thomas, help me build this. I really needed Thomas's help this summer with this house, I tell you that. Behold now, I will send you Thomas uh, to him, uh, Thomas. And so with some of this discourse, Thomas went to Gondoforce, and, and, and Gondoforce commanded Thomas to build him a magnificent palace. Now watch this. And he gave so much gold and silver to Thomas to do this mansion. More than anything that's more opulent than all of Rome, everything. It's just going to be the most wealthiest, opulent mansion in all the world. And he supplied him with gold and silver and much, much resources. So the king, it says, he went into a distant country and he was absent for two years. So in the meanwhile... <laughs> Thomas, instead of building the palace for the king, he distributed, watch this, all of the treasures entrusted him to the poor, to the sick, to the needy. He just went and gave us, you need, I got the king's money here, millions of dollars. Here, here you go. Here you go. Oh, you need some need, you poor. He just, he gave all the money away. Let's just think about that. And so the king returns. <laughs> he was full of wrath. You guess so, yeah. <laughs> He was enraged. I told you to build me a palace and you gave all my money away. And, and so he, the story goes, he said, and he commanded Thomas that he should be seized and cast in prison. He did that. And then he dreamt about how horrible a death he was planning to do to him. He was going to slowly torture Apostle Thomas. Slowly. He was so mad and enraged. After two years, all my money is gone to the poor. In the meantime, <clears throat> Gad, the brother of the king, died. So this king, he had a brother, and he died. And the king resolved to erect for him a most magnificent tomb. But the dead man, after that, he had been dead for four days, suddenly arose and sat up on his deathbed. And he said to the king, I put this up on the screen. <laughs> it just blew me away. Some guy had been dead for four days and comes back. And the man Thomas, whom you are planning to torture, is a servant of God. Behold, I have been in paradise. I went to heaven, and the angel showed me a wonderful palace of gold, silver, and precious stones. And they said, this is the palace that Thomas, the architect, has built for your brother King Gondoforce. And the king hears this. He hears these words, and he runs to the prison, and he delivers the apostle. And this is what James says to him. Oh, excuse me. Thomas says to him. He says, know not that those who would possess heavenly things have little care for the things of this earth. There are in heaven, watch this, rich palaces without number. 
rich palaces without number, which were prepared from the beginning of the world for those, watch this, who purchased the possession through faith in giving. That's the only way you get that mansion. Through faith in giving. Your riches, O king, may prepare the way for you to such a palace, but they cannot follow you toward that palace. I mean, no, we can't take it with us. Stand with me if you would, please. I think that is a marvelous story. I know it's not in the Bible, but what does that say? He had millions of dollars. He gave it to this apostle, and the apostle gave it all away. His brother dies, comes back to life, which that's what it'd take. The guy would have killed Thomas, and tells this story. What does that say? Everything you give goes to build a palace in heaven. Everything. Some of us, we may be multi-millionaires, very affluent here on earth. What kind of shack are you going to have in heaven? Oh, pastor, we have the crown of eternal life. That's right. But it says there that there are palaces that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What does that say about us with money today? I want to be a giver. I don't know about you. I want to be a giver. I want to be a giver. I want to have something. I heard a story of a pastor. He just said of an 87-year-old Christian woman that was dying, and she was so bitter. She was angry. And another pastor said, hey, will you, this minister, come pray for this lady? And she's hateful. She's bitter. And she went in, and he said, why are you so angry and so bitter? And he begins to try to pray for her, and she's just angry. And she said, she screams and cries out. She said, I can't believe that all of my life I've done nothing for Jesus. I have nothing to give him when I die. Let's bow our heads here this morning. What are you going to present to Jesus when you die? What, what, what are you going to present? Thank you, praise God. You know him and you're in right relationship. You're a believer. But what are you going to stand before the Lord and say, Jesus, here's who's followed behind me and and, and, and your deeds go before you. Sacrifices, service, ministry, love. Not works. It's all out of gratitude. For by grace you say through faith. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. We're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about servanthood. Oh, I just can't shake that about Thomas and that king. Everything you give, you've given $10, that's all you could afford towards a mission strip that we've gone on that went towards your heavenly account. That when every time you give faithfully, you tithe, that's just our obligation. It goes, I believe, towards your heavenly account. God keeps good records. He's good records. He doesn't have numbers wrong. He knows. It's not gaining us eternal life. Please hear me. That, that's secure in Christ. You, don't, you can't work for that. But our giving, our life, our service. If this story is true, which I happen to believe it is, otherwise I wouldn't have preached it. Our giving can go on and build a wonderful thing in heaven on behalf. With every head bowed, you hear this morning, say, Pastor Mike, I got nothing to give him. I actually haven't been living for him. I've been living for me, myself, and I. You may be in church for years. It's just your life is a life of one of selfishness. That's who Jesus is speaking to right now. He's putting his finger on you. He's saying, okay, I'm lighting my hand. I love you. I care for you. I want to I change. I want to rewrite the future for your life. Not, where, not in the direction that it's going. I want to I change that. If you will just surrender your life to me and everything about your life, your finances, 
your materialism, all, all your passions, your desires. Just submit everything to me. Watch and see what I'll do through your life. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I don't have that assurance of salvation, but I want it. I want us to pray together before we close here. For those of you who may be listening by television or audio, or you're here this morning, this is the day for you to get right with Jesus. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together corporately. Say to me, say, Jesus, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for selfishness. Forgive me for living a self-centered life. Jesus, I give you my life today. Take it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.